My name is Patricia Wooktay and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> My sobriety, aka Punky. My sobriety date is April 1st, 2014. Um, I am a member of the Cleveland 12-step group. You guys stole Aaron from us, but um, we meet on Wednesdays at, at 7, 7 p.m. We got some some showing back there. My people came out with me, that's right. And uh, I'm honored to be here. We had a really, really fun time eating and fellowshipping with you guys beforehand. Um, I work with, with women and, and I stay current with a sponsor and a home group. Um, and I've been asked to tell you what it was like, what happened, and, and what it's like now. So, um, I don't ever remember my life being manageable, ever. I think I was unmanageable in the womb. Um, when I came out, uh, my mom used to say that I was a nervous kid. And um, I know that I was in everybody's business pretty early on. It used to get me into trouble. Um, I knew what was best for everybody. Um, I would lie through my teeth for no reason. I would lie to make you feel bad for me, I would lie to make myself seem cooler than what I was. I don't remember there was ever a time where I lied and was like, oh, that's not the right thing to do. It was just natural. I was a liar. Um, I was sneaky. Um, I don't remember my first um, drink. I know Tony's got a good first drink story about the Pabst Blue Ribbon filling his belly up. Um, I don't I don't have that. Um, we. I come from a, a really small part in a, of the state out in the mountains and everybody drank. And, um, I remember being three or four years old running around in, in my underoos eating Slim Jims and stealing uh, beer out of my papa's recliner and I'd take a big swig and I'd go ah, and everybody would laugh and I'd run around with my Slim Jim. Um, and I mean, that's just, I still love Slim Jims. Um, mechanically separated chicken, pork, and beef. Um, but that's just, it was just, it was just normal. There, there wasn't like this moment where I discovered booze and, and what, it's just what I did, it's what everybody did, and, and I didn't ever think that there was a problem with it. I started sneaking alcohol from the adults in my life. Um, the, those one-shot those one shot sips weren't enough, so I'd wait so people weren't looking, and I'd crack me a beer open and shotgun it just as quick as I could and get rid of the evidence. That was before 10. Um, I'm not real good with dates. I couldn't tell you wild or drinking I was doing, but um, I just know that it was very prevalent. It was something that I always did, always wanted to do. Um, my my mama was a was a single mama, and she had her hands full with me. She had her hands full with all three of us, but I really was not um, a good daughter. I, like I said, I wanted to do what I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it, and to hear her tell it straight out of the womb. So we butted heads a lot. I think my drinking really took off when um, I left home. Um, around 15, we got into a fight, and I was like, I don't need this crap, you know, and just went off into the, the wilderness by myself, nowhere to go, no plan, nothing. But I went, you know, because I'd rather, 
I'd rather live under a bridge. That's a dramatic way of thinking, but I'd rather do that than tell my mom I was sorry or try to try to be a, a better daughter to her. Um, I was always mad at every person, whether y'all did something to me or not. Um, I could look on your face like you're thinking bad stuff about me right now. I can see it. And yeah, maybe you're not. I have got, I've gotten, a, I've gotten a little bit better as time goes on. That might be my bad, but that's just, a, that's just the way I was. Um, I didn't make friends. I'm sorry. You okay? <laughs> I ain't never seen her for my life. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't make friends because I knew that y'all already had a vendetta. Um, all the worst things that I thought about myself, I put in what I was reading in your mind. Um, so I, you know, I made friends when it suited me. Um, if you if you had something I needed, if you had alcohol. Um, if your parents didn't care for a runaway teen hanging out on your couch, you were my best, best friend forever and ever and ever. But if things started to not go my way, if I decided that I was in love with your boyfriend or something like that, I would find reasons to end those relationships that had nothing to do with me. Because that's, that's what I am um, without this program. I am someone that cannot take responsibility. For my actions, I am someone that blames everything. When I run out of things to blame, I blame God. And we'll get to that. He's wronged me a lot. <laughs> but um, my drinking, like I said, I don't remember a time that there was ever any manageability. I don't have this, this period of like moonlight drinking where everything was fun and parties. The only time I've ever drank successfully was with the help of methamphetamines. Um, and then I could drink without throwing up or, you know, crying or trying to fight somebody. I just don't have those, have those moments. It was almost as soon as I was able to drink without having to sneak. Like once I got out on my own and was going to keg parties in the middle of the woods and all of this stuff. It was just blackout, nasty, throw up, fight, just gross drinking. And, and that's, that's who I am when I drink. Um, I got involved with, you know, one fella after the other. And um, you might know how that goes, you might not, but that's what I would do. Um, I got pregnant several times um, and there was nothing I've gotten trouble. I've been arrested. There's a file like this. Well, the last time I was arrested in my hometown, over nine years ago, the guy that was signing me in, he was like, you know, we had to get you a whole nother folder. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was like, what do you mean? He was like, we couldn't fit no more paper in this one. <laughs> and, but the, but nothing could, um, nothing Swayed me for a while. I thought I was in the Hillbilly Mafia. It might have. We weren't named that, but we carried on in in a in a mafia manner. Um, we um, we did you know we did some threatening. We did an exchange of goods and services. Like and I thought that I was tough. I used to run around in Carhartts with chainsaws and 
steel-toed boots, and I thought I was a badass, and I loved it. The first time I went to jail, I was sad for about 30 minutes, but then I was like, you know what? I'm bad to the bone. <laughs> and, uh, and, then it, it, and then I just got used to it. Um, when I started mixing some other stuff, it became a vacation. I'd sleep for like three weeks until folks could, could work up bond money. Um, I share all that to say, like, jails, frothy emotional appeals from my mother or my friends, um, treatment centers, life that I had created and carried in my womb. There was absolutely nothing that stopped me from drinking. And, t and it got to the point where I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to. I would, I would tell myself that I wasn't going to do it, and then I would just go through the steps and do it, and then I would hate myself. Like, I would get mad. I would cry. There were times I, like, hit myself in the head because I'd just done a shot of something, like, you know. And it was just a really, really, really dark time. And then I come up on some trouble again. I had this same court-appointed attorney that I'd had since I was uh, 17. And he was like, listen, gal. We know you're not a bad gal, but we can't do this no more. And they ship me off to prison. Um, my badassery diminished the further I got away from the mountains. Like, I started to realize that, like, I was a very small, small fish in a very large pond. Um, I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous the first time in, in prison. It was 2011. Um... I had gotten, they made me take one of those assessment tests and they decided I was an alcoholic and they sent me to a treatment center. And um, I had some therapy while I was there. I got um, introduced to a really great group of women in Alcoholics Anonymous from Rocky Mount. Um, got connected, started working the steps. Um, realized that I was an alcoholic, but I don't think that I did. Um, I think that while I did that process, I had a, a spiritual awakening. I had, you know, those moments, but it was still somehow someone's fault. It was still my mama's fault, my granddaddy's fault. Um, anyone that had ever hurt me was the reason that I drank, and I told myself that, and I told those people that, too. And I was so convincing that not many of them argued with me. I think that first year I went through three sponsors. Was it three? I'm not sure. But I had one, and uh, she started telling me stuff I didn't like. So I sat her down, and I was like, we're just such good friends. that." Um, and part of me believed that that was true, and it, and it was. I mean, she's still a dear, dear part of my life today. But I think if I really break it down is um, she was telling me stuff I didn't want to hear. Um, I had another lady. Um, she wanted to dress me up like a doll, and, and I didn't mind that, you know. And we went to all these meetings and all this stuff and shopping, and then she started to tell me stuff I didn't want to hear. And uh, I found a new sponsor. This time she lived in Virginia, and I was living in Rocky Mount, and I was right around a year sober. Um, and I did my fist step with her, but I told it to her in such a way that... Um, I had her eating out of the palm of my hand, you know. It was, it was one of those situations where, well, if I'd gone through that, I'd drink too, and that's what I needed to hear. Um, I never really could get accountable. Um, the person that I am today knows that y'all's actions are none of my business. 
Um, I'm not responsible for what you do, what you choose to do, what you don't do. Um, I'm only responsible for myself and how I react or respond to the world around me. But I, I miss that key point. We got another at the door. <laughs> hey, friend. Um, so I could tell you in, in times that I've told my story before, um, I talk about putting that sobriety together and um, relapsing or, or drinking or whatever. And I tell about meeting a boy. I tell about, you know, um, thinking that uh, trauma or upbringing was the reason that I drank. And what I know right now today in that moment is I made a choice. Um, I did do the steps to the best of my ability back then, and I had a spiritual awakening, and the, and the obsession had been removed. But I made a choice that day. I remember the conversation. I remember arguing with God, telling him that if it... That's another thing. With this God stuff, um, I got real tight with God. Um, so tight that, that I knew what he wanted for me, and y'all didn't know anything at all. You had no clue. I was the chosen one. I made myself almost um, almost Christ-like in my mind that I was some martyr destined to, to feel the pain of the world so that I could heal the world. So your counsel didn't mean anything to me, and um, I definitely didn't ask for it. Um, I know today that if I there was probably 50 people I could have called before I walked to the store to get that drink that would have spoke directly from God and given me exactly what I needed to hear um, to not go. But I demanded like a burning bush or one of them talking donkeys from the, from the big book. And, um, and none of that happened. And so I drank. Um, and then I, I, I burnt a lot of bridges. Burning is... Um, is a very polite way to put it. Like I demolitioned TNT some stuff and and uh, ended up going back home and and sticking my hands in in all the goodie bags for a few months until I just reached this place of incomprehensible demoralization. Um, I had become someone that I hated for a while, though. Um, just to give you an idea of that. Um, Christ Messiah complex I was talking about um, I had a bunch of money because while I was in the program I was like working and being responsible so I had money saved up and I would go and I would buy these party bags and I would buy all these booze and I would like try to save their souls and tell them all about AA and all about God as we're doing shots and all of that and they hung on my every word they really did and then I ran out of money and we couldn't link up after that. Like, they might have found another church to go to. I don't know. But, you know, there I was with no money, no followers, no, no. This was before social media was a big thing, so they were actually there hanging out with me. And then I'm all alone, and, you know, it's everybody else's fault. You know, they, it was their fault, and it was um, God's fault for leading me down this horrible road. I don't, you know, why must I suffer continuously? <laughs> and, um, and then I got arrested. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of really horrible stuff happened, and then I got arrested. And um, I don't know what all I was on in that, in that sale. I know that I was 
DTing from, from booze pretty bad. I was throwing up, I was sweating. I was in the holding cell for like a week. Back where I'm from, they have like these, they call, we call them cocktails, the inmates did. And it was like um, a bunch of sedatives for when you were withdrawing real bad. And, and they slid it in there and I was like, I don't want any of that. Like I, I was done. I didn't, I didn't want to put anything else in my body and um, I was not happy about that. Um, I was not happy about who I'd become. Um, I guess it was that moment of like really realizing that I was powerless, not just over alcohol, not just over, you know, substances, but like literally over everything. I am, I am powerless over everything. And um, I was mad about that. Um, I did not like start praying to God and and asking him to help me or anything like that. I spent the next nine months um, really angry at God doing some some self harm um, praying like I don't even know if you would call it praying is cussing God out I believe was probably more accurate. Um, I prayed one prayer. And it was about free will, and I asked God why I had free will because I didn't, I didn't want free will. I didn't like what I was doing with my, with my choices, and I really felt like I didn't have any other way to be. Um, I was powerless. I was a victim. I had no hope, and I just was mad that I hadn't died, and, and that was my plan. I was going to get out, and I was going to die, you know. And um, I got out, and I went up down here to Glen Royal Road because nobody else would take me. And um, it was a homeless shelter, and um, I saw Susie. Where's Susie at? I saw Susie D. my first night. I come out of the shelter, and there she was. And we just kind of stopped, and um, she gave me a big hug, and I just started crying. And I think that that's... Um, that was a moment for me because I had replayed in my mind over and over during some of the darkest times that I had um, during that uh, relapse, like what I had left behind, what I was missing, um, the family that I had chosen, and more importantly, that had chosen me, and I missed it so bad, but then with all those thoughts came all the um, assumptions about what they would be thinking of me and what they would say if they saw me again. And to see one of those folks, like my first night there when I had, I was just looking for a way out. I'm stuck at this homeless shelter because they wouldn't release me from prison without an address. And you know, I'm waiting for the, for the training to come through so I can hobo jump it to the next town. Like, and um, I saw her and she didn't, there was no like, oh, you all right? You know how we get sometimes. It was just a big hug. And I just started crying, and um, she asked me if I was done <laughs> once and for all, good and for all. I don't remember how she put it, and I was like, yeah. And I asked her to take me through the steps, and she took me through the steps. Um, but dog, if she didn't have my number. So there was no waller in, in, in self-pity. There was no blaming because um, I had always told myself if I had had more support or or more love and nurturing, I wouldn't have turned out the way that I did. But that time in AA, that's all I had um, was love and acceptance and support. 
Um, and I, I, it didn't matter. I made a choice to drink, and when I make a choice to drink, all bets are off, and I become a person that I'm ashamed of. Um, so we got through the steps pretty quick, and um, I was really angry. I was really angry about, um, I think, probably still that victim mentality, just like um, the book promises the obsession was gone. Um, but sanity hadn't returned completely, probably because I didn't think that I was insane. I was still kind of wrapped up in it being other people's fault. Um, and then, you know, probably at about two years, two and a half years into um, sobriety, I like quit AA for like 18 months. And um, I never wanted to drink, but I did not want to live. Um, I hated myself, um, my husband. I resented our then little baby boy. I was isolated and dark. Just everything in me was dark and, and black, and um, I really had gotten to that place of like hopelessness um, without the drink, because drinking is my solution, um, and it, it, it never has been the problem. I'm the problem, and I was able to see that. I was able to see that without the drink, I'm still a miserable jerk, you know, that, that hates everyone and everything and is ungrateful and, you know, arrogant and just full of fear and full of self-pity. Um, my husband and I moved out to Clayton. We bought our home and I found the Cleveland 12-step group and, um, they welcomed me in, and I got current with uh, my sponsor. I got current in a home group and started taking service positions. I started sponsoring women, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm not miserable. I don't want to kill myself, and, and life starts to get better. Um, more, more accurately, I started to realize how great my life had already gotten. Um, I am someone that, if given the opportunity, I will sit around all day and think about what I don't have, and that's why I'm miserable. Um, but working with um, women in the program um, keeps me free of that stuff a little bit. Um, I'm, not, I'm not perfect by no means. I am a progress not perfection kind of gal, and a sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly kind of gal. But um, I know that my greatest source of growth started when I started working with the newcomer. Um, when I started getting out of what I wanted and started focusing on other people, and um, I have changed immensely in just the past um, four years. I was able to um, get my driver's license back. I was talking about this with Kim on the way over. Um, so I had like three DWIs in like less than five years. The first two were like a month within each other. Like you have to wait that month period and then you can pay to get them back. Well, I had them back for like a week and then got another DWI. And then the second one, I had, my license were revoked. I was driving 115 miles an hour with a bottle of wild Irish rose. I was listening to Mumford Sons, crying. Um, I was just, 
So there's like this stretch of highway between Rocky Mount and the Tarboro exit. And I was just making this loop, like just going um, round and round and round. And she finally pulled me over and I was like crying and blubbering. And she was like, are you all right? And I was like, no. And then um, she asked me to get out of the car. I was like, can I finish this? And she was like, no, ma'am. And I was like, okay. Because um, I really just wanted that drink. But I, I tell that to say that like, there's no reason why I should have a driver's license, but you know, I drove myself and my buddy Kim here tonight. Um, I have a relationship with um, one of my children. He's, um, he moved down with me when he was 15. And um, I've been able to reconnect and, and rebuild that relationship. He's able to see who I am now and, and not who I was. And, and that has been, um, There aren't words to describe what that has been or what that has meant to me, and and that's a that's a product of this program. Um, my husband and I met. He was at the men's campus of that place, and we was canoodling when we weren't supposed to. But um, <laughs> you know, that's what I do. But um, we uh, we were two broken crazy kids that probably shouldn't have gotten together but we did and we've somehow made it work um we love each other he's become my best friend um we are fire and ice we're two completely different people but it works um and we have um we have a, a little girl that we welcomed into the world on 2020 we shut it all down after that this <laughs> So Gal's been pumping out kids since she was 18. I'm going to take a break. But, you know, I share a lot. Um, I share a lot from the podium that, like, I'm a boring baseball mom. And I never really expound on that. But, like, I would watch, you know, Family Matters or Full House and, like, see all this stuff. And I've... I've you know, that's kind of what my life is. Not exactly, because I'm a little rough around the edges. But, you know, we have, I have, like, this family. And, and the, the worst thing I have to worry about is, like, whether or not, you know, I forgot to pick up, this, if it's my night to bring snacks to, to baseball practice, you know. And, and that's just something that I never thought um, was possible for me. I mean, when I was a kid, like, I was a morbid little kid. I used to fantasize about... Like, my whole family getting into a car accident in the water, and I would, like, save all of them but, like, drown and die. Um, and, like, I just never really saw. I couldn't even swim at that point. Like, I can barely swim now, but, like, those were the kind of fantasies that I would have. Like, and my life was going to be short, and I was going to go out and, like, you know, slow walk away explosion or something, somebody's hero. And it's just... Bananas. If you had asked me when I was 17 what my life would be like when I was 38, I'd tell you that I was going to be dead. You know, um, whether it's because of the life I was living or if that's just what I wanted, but you know, that's not that's not my story. Um, I'm not dead. I'm very much alive, and I have a lot of wonderful things in my life. Um, I have friends. Um, I don't lie anymore. Um, that was something that was really hard. Um, 
I would actually like be going down the road talking to AA people and like telling this funny story, completely fabricated. And um, it might have it might have been rooted in truth. All right, but like it's one of those the fish went from here to here to here. So, but um, I would stop myself. I would be like, look, I don't. That was a lie. I don't. <laughs> oh. I don't know why I just did that, but that was a lie. And then I would either clean it up or be like, I completely made all that up. I just, I don't know. And um, that has been a huge gift for me, though, because I value honesty now. Um, And um, I don't steal anymore. Uh, I don't have to sneak around anymore. I don't have to be ashamed of who I am or what I've done because I'm not doing anything that I, that I should be ashamed of. Um, like I said, I'm not perfect, but I know that I work diligently to be the best version of myself that I can be. Um, sometimes I cuss people out if they're beeping the horn at me in the Bojangles when I'm trying to pull out. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I call someone right away and we walk through it and how that's not something that we're supposed to do. You know, I I try to work the steps to the best of my ability. For a long time in my recovery, I was someone that would not do 10, 11, and 12. Um, I would bank resentments and then just do like a massive fourth. Um, I would just until I, you know, I felt like I was going to explode or I was exploding um, I really try hard to do that 10, 11, and 12 now. I really try hard to watch for all of those things because, you know, like I told you guys in the beginning, I came out of the womb practically a liar, a thief, a sneak, just selfish and self-centered and full of fear. And all of that stuff still plagues me. But I have, um, I have a, a roadmap, you know, and I, and I try to catch those things. And I always feel better when I do. I always feel better when I make amends right away. I didn't at first. Like, that stuff really got under my skin, especially the way they write it in the book. It's not really like I'm sorry or, or whatever. It's I was wrong. Like, I, I hated that for, like, a really long time. I don't know if that's in the book or not, but that's been the way that I've been taught to do amends. It's I was wrong. And that, that was really hard for me to say. Um, there are things that that I used to think would stay with me forever that don't impact me anymore. Um, I'm able to, to walk through, through life, um, free from a lot of things that, um, that I never thought that I would be free of. Um, I'm still working on fear. Um, I'm still that whole fear versus faith thing. I still think that I'm God sometimes. I don't mean to be, but that's what my actions show. I still think that, especially if I love you and you're like in my circle, like I think that I can tell you what to do with your life. Or, um, And it's just, it's stuff that I have to work on constantly. What I know without a shadow of a doubt is that I don't ever have to drink again and that I have things in place Um for every situation that I've come across over the past nine years, it's in that book or one of you guys has the answer for me. And it doesn't involve a drink. It doesn't involve an assault charge. It doesn't involve an affair or any of those things. Um, and and that's, that's a gift, too, um, that I have friends 
you know, that I, I don't have all these walls up where it's just Trish is king of her castle. It may be burning, but it's hers. Like I'm, <laughs> you know, I have, I just have people in my life that I trust enough to tell me the hard truths about myself, that I trust enough to guide me when it gets overwhelming. Um, I really thought that I was alone before coming to this program, and, and I know that I'm not. Um, I don't know that I can say enough about what this program has given me. The mother that it's given my children versus the mother that I would have been without this program. Now, if you want to hear about a painful amends, try making one to like a five-year-old. <laughs> who looks at you and says, it's okay, mommy, everybody makes mistakes sometimes. And like, you're kind of proud of him, but you also want to punch him in the nose at the same time. But um, I don't. <laughs> what does Paige say? You can think about robbing the bank. It's not an issue till you get out. Put the ski mask on. But you know, I just, I'm a person that I never thought was possible. I'm a, I'm a person that before I came into this room, I had no example of. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of who this program has turned me into. And I will be eternally grateful for that. So um, I guess that's all I got. Is that good? <laughs>